Fabio Tolli, a musician, interviews Jesus on the subject of law of desire. This is session one. The interview took place in Kentucky, New South Wales, Australia, on the 20th of September, 2012. All right, hello everyone. My name's Fabio. I'm Fab, whatever you like to call me. <laughs> um, Fab, Fab's good, short. <laughs> We're doing a talk on desire, which is one of my favourite topics on the planet at the moment. And um, we've got AJ here to answer all these questions, which there weren't many. There's <laughs> <laughs> not many people even have any questions for this, for this subject. Nah. No. No. Um, <clears throat> the main one that I sort of got, we'll just get straight into it, is um, I, I asked what is desire, but like in a feeling kind of way. Like, mm -hmm. So what is desire and what does it feel like mm -hmm. to, to have desire? Mm -hmm. I suppose the words that you could associate with the feeling of desire are things like passion, longing, excitement. Uh, joy, these are all feelings that are associated with the feeling of desire, a true desire. And with true desire, sometimes um, if it's really pure, there will be no fear in it at all. So you'd be completely desiring to do whatever it is that you're focused on, and you won't be constantly looking at what you're afraid of with, with doing it either. So um, unfortunately, most people don't have that pure a desire. And a lot of times there is bits of pieces of fear associated with desire. And, and this is where if you engage desire, you can engage the process of also refining the fear in the process. Mm. But, but if you have a pure desire, you will experience joy, longing, passion, um, excitement, being thrilled. Uh, these are all emotions that you feel while you're expressing your desire. Okay. Mm. Well, with words like longing and passion, for example, like, uh, uh, I've got an Italian background, so they say, oh, we're very passionate, but <laughs> yeah. a lot of it's anger. Yeah. So, like, passion can get sort of confused with anger, and, and longing isn't a feeling I feel is not a really to understand, like... A lot of people view longing as neediness, which is very, very different. They're yeah. very, very different to each other. And like you say, a lot of people view passion as uh, somebody who's angry or explosive or whatever, and that's not the kind of emotions that we're talking about. Mm. A person who's in their desire is very, very passionate about what they're doing, and they, they, don't, uh, they don't get angry about what they're doing, but they, they feel driven to do it because of how strong the desire mm. is inside of them and the joy that they receive from actually doing it and so um, once you once you discover the things that you truly desire and you actually embrace them passionately you never can go back generally to 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 the other way of living um, and if you look at almost every successful person on the planet at some point they have uh, embraced their feelings of passionate desire in, in the direction that they have taken. Yeah. Um, now, sometimes it's been addictions that have driven them, but uh, but a lot of times, if it's just addictions that drive you, um, you will only go a certain distance uh, with regard to expression of your passions. You won't because because there'll be different uh, problems that come up. So it's just 
fizzles out because it comes yeah. too hard. Or exactly, something. exactly. It just fizzles out because it's too hard or too too exhausting yeah. to continue when it's just your addictions. But when you are purely in your desire, there is a deep sense of internal joy that you receive from doing it, and it's independent of whether anybody else agrees with you, accepts what you're doing, or enjoys what you're doing. So it's independent of other people's response to what you are doing. Yeah. Mm. So what we were saying earlier, how that feeling of desire, is it before the interview started, is it like a fear can be... Can, could you explain that a little bit? How fear can be confused with desire. desire. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the two emotions are very close sometimes in, in, the, in the sensations in the body. So one of the things uh, is when we, when we get afraid, we often start to shake a little. That We have the, the heart starts to beat a bit faster and uh, the physiological system of the body mm-hmm. becomes uh, in, into a heightened self of a sense of self-awareness and uh, and but but it's driven by something that you're actually afraid of generally mm-hmm. in in that in that regard when you're in excitement it's almost a very similar feeling like so you you're your body starts to, you start to feel the physiological response in your body, your heart starts beating faster, and all of these other things start to happen, and you start to be very aware of everything that's going on around you. Time seems to slow down uh, to a degree, like you, you, you become more present generally inside of yourself, you, you're very aware of what's going on around you generally when you're in your desire. And and most people, I believe, confuse the two feelings. And so, you know, they recognize sometimes this feeling of desire more like a physiological fear-based response. And so they finish up trying to shut it down. Yeah. And, uh, and so a lot of times I believe that a lot of people are shutting down their desires because they can't tell the difference between excitement <laughs> and fear. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, oftentimes too, when we begin to express our desires our fears come up naturally. So, so for example, if I've got to, a desire to play music, sooner or later I'll probably, if I, if I become good at, at that particular desire, and, and, and I'll sooner or later be requested by somebody to play for them. And if I'm very afraid of doing that, then there'll be certain fears that come up. And the problem with genuine fear is that it, is that it suppresses desire. It, it sort of makes you feel like I don't want to do what I desired to do before. Um, whereas excitement does not suppress desire. And that's basically how to tell the difference between the two. Excitement drives you into desire, whereas fear suppresses your desire and causes you to run away from desire. So you're saying if you're in that scenario, if you're desire-based, like if you're focused on your desire for what you're doing mm-hmm. and the fear to perform in front of anyone at the request came up, the desire would, would outweigh that fear and you'd do it anyway. Yes, and uh, the excitement that it was in you to embrace your desire would outweigh the fear. So if you look inside of us internally, we've basically got two scales, if you like. Yeah. One is this desire scale, which goes from no desire to extreme desire. And then we've got this other scale inside of us, which you could call the fear truth scale, which is like, how much fear do you have in comparison to how little fear do you have? And now, if the desire exceeds the fear levels, then you will always go ahead and do something. Mm. But if the desire is lower than the fear levels, you will always not 
do what you desire. The majority of people live their lives like that, where you know they recognise many of their desires, but they're too afraid to embrace them, mostly because they're afraid of other people's opinion, they're afraid of getting attacked, they're afraid of being humiliated, they're afraid of everyone laughing at them, and so forth and so forth. All things generally that happen to us during our childhood. And so we have this fear that's quite high, and the desire is not quite as high. Now, because the fear is high and the desire is not quite as high, you will not do anything in that place. You, 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 and in fact, you'll almost act like a victim in that place, like yeah. a victim of circumstance. If your desire, on the other hand, is higher than your fear, and your excitement to do it is greater than your fear of doing it, then, then your desire will be quite high, and it will drive you into doing everything. And it, interestingly enough, as it drives you into doing everything, your fear lessens every time because you're having to process some of the fear that comes up as an expression mm. of the desire that you have. So, so as you express your desire, some fear comes up, then you've got to address and, that and fear. That, and that fear processing that you do when you access could be even just a subtle feeling that you feel every time you access it. It doesn't have to be a paralyzing four-shake kind of event every time. Exactly. Like, and initially, it may be that yeah. kind of paralyzing thing because initially, oftentimes, our fears are much higher than mm. our desires. But as we work on our fears and our fears drop down, and also as we work on this, pro, this desire. desire, our desire increases... And once we get to the point where our desire exceeds our fear, now we're going to do things and experience joy every single time in mm. doing them. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. Another question I got was, um, um, was how can we use the law of desire to assist to grow and feel the fears that have been long been avoided? So, like, mm-hmm. how can you learn to make desire bigger? There's really the two aspects to it, isn't there? The biggest is terror, basically. Yeah, there's really the two aspects. One aspect is um, how do we get the terror low enough or the, or the fear low enough and then how do we grow the feeling about desire? How do we get that higher? And it does actually require that we deal with quite a lot of different emotions both, with both processes. So some of, some of the emotions that we need to address will, will actually make us... Uh, ha- make our desire grow and other emotions that we need to address will actually lessen the fear which means the desire becomes more present so if we, if we examine both of these processes separately let's look at the fear first mm-hmm. normally when we begin the fear exceeds our desires on most things or most all things actually um, even in our personal relationships with the closest, our closest friends and, and even our partners often fear is higher than desire mm-hmm. with, with many of us now, once we start uh, to feel a desire, we, we can be aware or become aware of what fears are into interfering with this desire. And um, once we become aware of the fear, we need to go through the process, I feel, of recognising the fear intellectually, allowing ourselves to begin to feel what the fear feels like in our body, allowing ourselves through this process of feeling the fear, releasing the fear itself, and, um, and then coming to an awareness of why we had that fear. Um, once, and usually once we start feeling the fear, we soon come to an awareness of why we have it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so as, the, as the fear uh, slowly comes down through that process, we can start to recognise more of our desires. But once we start recognising our desires... 
the key is always action. We must take action if we're ever going to grow desire. And there, there are reasons for that as well, that, that action is so important. If we do not take action, we are never going to be experiencing the joy of the expression of the desire. So, so the problem with not acting is that we sort of consign ourselves to recognizing a desire within us, but actually not feeling almost like a listless feeling that, oh, I'm never going to have any joy or never, it's never going to be how I want it to be. So I'm not going to embrace that particular desire. And it's too hard. And then we have all these other you know, <coughs> emotions, some of which are fear-based and some of which are just lazy-based, yeah. laziness. And, and so we don't act upon the, the desire that we have. The key with desire is that if you act every time, it will grow. If you act every time, you will also experience some joy every time you act. If you do not act, then you will not experience. You, you know, it's impossible to experience mm. if you do not act. So, so the, to grow desire, we must first intellectually recognize that we have a certain desire. And a lot of times we can look back over our lives and think about the things that brought us joy and the other things that uh, you know, often we desire. Some of those things are to do with impure things, you know, to do with selfishness, but other things that we have were to do with things that we really enjoyed in sharing ourselves with others, you know, in terms of giving the gift of our time and energy to others. And we'll notice those particular desires. Then, what we've, once we notice them, we need to make plans and take action. Yep. Um, now, this is where I feel most people fail with growing their desire. They refuse to take action or they want somebody else to act for them. They want somebody else to take responsibility for their life and making their desires become fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And so what we need to do instead of that is take personal action. If you think about your own life with regard to desire, you've had to take personal action every time before anything changes. Mm -hmm. and, and if we learn to take personal action, what we finish up doing there is we take the action, we experience some joy, but also some fear generally mm -hmm. gets triggered. Now, if we are open to feeling the fear and open to the release of it, then we'll lessen that fear each time that fear is triggered. We, we process a bit of it and it goes down a bit and then we still act. We act again yeah. and we act again and we act again and we just keep on acting and we keep on acting in the purity of the desire. What I see a lot of people do is they act and then things don't go as well as they imagined. It. And then that's it. That they feel like that's the universe telling them that, that you know, it's God's way to go. telling me to stop. Exactly. That's what they often believe. You know, often I hear them say, oh, you know, I feel that if things don't go smoothly, it means that um, the reality is that I'm not meant to do that. Is that one is that if it's too hard, then don't bother, like it should go smooth. Like exactly. If it's too hard, then it's not real. It's not it, meant to happen. Not meant to happen. Yes, yeah, all that kind of intellectual, illogical reasoning. Mm. And, and it's all driven a lot of times because once we embrace a desire and it doesn't get fulfilled, we need to understand that there was some impurity in the desire. And addictions. Yeah. And some addiction in the desire. We need to address those addictions if we're going to actually have our desires fulfilled properly. But what most people do is they, they have a desire... They feel the desire for the thing. They embrace it the first time. Then it doesn't go as smoothly as they expect. And so what do they do? 
they give up there and then telling themselves that, oh, God doesn't want me to do it, or the universe doesn't want me to do it, or it didn't go smoothly, so, you know, obviously it's not going to go smoothly in the yeah. future. And, and this is a great way of completely shutting down the desire and also not experiencing any grief about a desire not being fulfilled. Mm. So a lot of times at this point, people are unwilling to grieve about the fact that their desire wasn't fulfilled. If you are willing to grieve about it, then you work through some of the issues as to why the desire wasn't fulfilled, that you still go ahead with the desire yeah. the next time. Yeah. And you might now have modified it a little because you've let go of some grief and you've let go of some addiction and you've let go of some fear during that process, but you'll still embrace it the next time. You won't give up. And true desires, you never give up. In fact, they grow and grow and grow and grow and grow eternally. In saying that, true desire, like... What about when you come across the grey area? Now, I've heard you say before that if you don't know, experiment. Yeah. Now, why is experimenting with a desire that you don't know is pure or not so important? Well, obviously, um, initially, we find that our desires have been suppressed generally by our environment, particularly during our childhood. A lot of times we had desires... But then we were laughed at or we were ridiculed or even punished for some of them. A lot of times, if they weren't exactly the same desires as our parents or someone else in our environment, then we were ridiculed and that made us feel bad. And so then we suppressed those desires. And so we get to a point in our lives when we're usually during our teenage years, even it's as early as that, that we're not really sure about what we want to do with the rest of our life. And in fact, uh, many children, young children, are very uh, open about their desires of what they want to do the rest of their life. But by the time they get to a teenager, they've been suppressed so much by the environment that they're not really sure anymore what they want to do. And you ask the average teenager what he, who he or she wants to do, and many of them will say, oh, I don't really know, actually. You know? And the reason why they don't really know is because their true desires have been suppressed so much. Mm-hmm. So, so they get to a point where you don't really know what your desires are. Now, if you're going to discover them again, the only thing you can do is start experimenting with some of what you feel might be desires. Now, sometimes during the experiment, you might find that it's an addiction rather than a desire. In other words, it's something that you want from somebody so that you can or avoid something. an emotion or yeah. you, know, you, can make, you can feel better about mm-hmm. something. And... Um, the, the alternative is that it might be a pure desire. Now, the only way you're going to discover that is if you experiment and then see what the attraction, the law of attraction, brings to your own soul to show you whether it was part of a purity or, or whether it had impurity in it. If our desire is pure, it, it will always be fulfilled by God. This is one of the beautiful parts of God's nature and qualities is that God desires to actually fulfill all of our own pure desires. Which goes on to the question of why is it so important to have desire like, in regards to God? Well, obviously, um, desire is uh, an essential part of your relationship with God because desire is your longing for God. It's, like, it's, it's, the, it's the way in which you embrace God and feel, and feel God's love into you. Without desire, there is no prayer. There is no longing and therefore no prayer. And so God, God is very, very um, focused on demonstrating to us as individuals 
that desire is the power of our soul. Like it, it is a, a large amount of power comes from the desire that's in our soul. And it also is the thing that drives all of our growth, our personal growth. If you do not have a desire for God or a desire for God's love, and you have no desire to grow in love in the way that you express your love to individuals, then you will not ever decide to actually embrace those particular principles. If you have a desire for God and a desire to receive God's love, and that desire is so strong that any other desire is sort of fades into, into some insignificance in comparison to it, then it will always drive you to get closer to God. And, so, and it will always drive you to, to longing for God's love, which is prayer. And it will always desire, you'll always desire truth as a part of that. As a part of that. So, so it's like uh, it's impossible to actually have a relationship with God without desire. Yeah, because you said in the talk once that desire activates God's soul. Yes, yes. It acti- in fact, your desire activates everyone's soul around you. Yeah, so how, how does it do that? So like, well, perhaps if I could just say a few more about what, what's impossible without desire, yeah. and then we can answer that question, but... If you look at what's impossible without desire, it's impossible to have a proper relationship with a partner without desire. Mm-hmm. Y- you can't. Like, otherwise, you might as well just be you know, acquaintances. You know, if there's no desire to know the person, there's no desire to relate with the person, there's no desire to sexually engage with the person, and there's no desire to actually be intimate with the person then what have you got? It's not a relationship anymore. It's, you know, it's not even a friendship anymore, really. It's the same with all of our friendships. If we have no desire to actually you know, spend time with them and those kind of things, then, of course, there is no friendship, really. If uh, we don't have a desire or longing for God's love, then, of course, we can't receive it, and we're never going to grow in our relationship with God. If we don't have a desire to have children, we'll never really, even if we have children, we'll never really love them. Uh, so our, if you think about it, our job, our, our life, our relationships, yeah. our relationship with God, everything is, is driven by this underlying feeling of passion and desire for something. Yeah. If, we, if we don't have a passion and desire for something, we don't even have a relationship. We don't even have a friendship. We don't even have a longing. We don't, we don't have an into you know, a, a, a... You just sit in the chair like this for yeah. the rest of your life and do nothing. And a lot of people have become like that, yes. Like a lot of people have become like, oh, life is so hard and everything's so difficult. And, and, and uh, you know, the, and they've learned through life to shut down their sadness about their desires not being met and as a result of shutting down their sadness, they've decided to shut down desire. Mm-hmm. So because of their fear of sadness, their fear of the sadness of our desire or longing not being fulfilled, they decide to shut down their sadness and then they become listless and apathetic. And that's how many people have gotten to manage their sadness about not mm-hmm. having their desires fulfilled. So I feel that one of the important things to understand in this discussion um, is that desire is the essential ingredient for any relationship. (laughs) Desire is also the essential ingredient for any growth. Desire is also the essential ingredient for any relationship with God. And desire is also essential in any attempt to discover ourselves. 
Yeah. So, so if you look at the importance of it as a quality to develop, it, it's, it's of major importance in our life. And I feel that while people don't understand that, they will never really grow. There's not going to be any real change in a person unless desire is developed. So, so if we start looking all through, across all of our life, we can start asking ourselves the question, okay, in my relationship, am I expressing my desires? Now, you look in an average relationship, many men don't express their desires for their for their woman anymore because she might reject them sexually or you know she might feel you know there might be some feeling or uh, that of possible rejection and so many men learn to shut down their desire for their woman right and instead they desire other things as a mask for the sadness that they feel to to not have a relationship it's the same for many many women they shut down their desire for their partner you know many women are taught even from a young age, that to, to be openly expressive of your desire is to invite humiliation and, and a lack of safety. So, so many women, instead of um, having an unsafe, desirous relationship, what they believe to be an unsafe, yeah, yeah. desirous relationship, they have a safe relationship without desire. And, uh, but, but that is not a really safe relationship, if you think about it. Sooner or later, the lack of desire is going to destroy the relationship. Mm. So, so you can see that even in many relationships and, and uh, many of the things we do with relationships are all driven by a lack of desire or a fear of not having our desires fulfilled or grief associated with not having had our desires fulfilled in the yeah. past that we're unwilling to feel now and so therefore we're unwilling to act upon desire. If we look at our jobs, many of our jobs, as you know, what did you do before you do what you do now? What, what were you? Painter and decorator. Painter and decorator. Did you like it? Not every day. No. So Probably 10% of it. 10%. Yeah. Right. So there's some creative parts of it that yeah. you enjoy. And then there's, you know... The work. The hard work, you know, the scraping down, the... Yeah, like, yeah, if it was like coming in to do this room, I'd be happy. But if it's to do it every single day, like 10 of these rooms and then another 10 of them, <laughs> it just became like torture. Yeah, yeah. So, so the average person probably feels like that about their job, right? Mm. Um, so desire doesn't drive their day, but what, why do they go to such a day? Usually it's because of issues regarding fear of not having enough money, mm. fear of not being able to pay the bills, fear that, of disapproval from their wife or husband because you know, their wife or husband wants them to get that job. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why we do that kind of a life. Now, if you compare that with your life now, mm. and you know, perhaps part of this interview later, we should have me interviewing you about <laughs> your life. Um, the uh, you know, you compare that now. Pretty much everything you do is driven by ninety yeah, percent by desire. Ten percent now. Yeah, it's now the flip side of that. It's me working out my fears. Yeah, and and it's required a transition. Yes, yeah. uh, there's been a transition, but it's also important to understand that uh, as you embrace your desires more and more and more, what do you find happening with your with your abundance, for example? What do you find happening with your you know, with the money that you needed to come in. Yeah. What's happened to that in your own personal experience? Oh, yeah, it just keeps going. I yeah. get more gigs and people give me more money for it. Yeah. But I also found that it's more, I have more desire for more things. Yeah. yeah. So, like, 
it's not just a one thing anymore. It's yeah, you, your desires start spreading out. Mm. And that's what I've found myself personally. Like, And this is why I'm passionate about many different things in my life, as, as you mm. know. And the reason why I'm passionate about it is because I've learned to embrace desires in as many different areas as I possibly mm. can. Um, because I'm not afraid of them not being fulfilled. I'm not, I'm not afraid of having to feel grief if my desires are not met. So I feel that's a very important part to understand about desire. I think that's, in fact, the crux of our discussion in some way, that we need to understand that almost every relationship that we ever develop, our relationship with ourselves, including uh, our relationships with others, our relationship with God, and the joy that we can experience in these relationships, are all, are all driven by desire. I got asked one day that God's, God's constantly loving us. Mm-hmm. But it's our desire that activates God's love in the in the in the Holy Spirit, the kind of divine love that we're talking about. Yeah. So, can I explain yeah, what really happens? Yes, please. Yeah, what really happens is desire opens our heart to receive. Mm. So, so God's always wishing to give her love to her children, and God's always wishing to fulfil our desires. But God does not do those things until our heart is open to receive the gifts that God gives. When we open, we say, God... Yeah, and we, it's not a matter of sitting down here and going, OK, I'm going to open my heart to God. That's not how it works, because it's not actually a, a process that's inactive. Right? It's a process that's active by embracing our desire. So, so in other words, if you truly want to know a person, what do you do? You don't just sit here in your home in your lounge chair going, oh, I'd really like to know Fab. You start with your fear first, don't you? You send them an email. <laughs> <laughs> or a Facebook. Yeah, Facebook, uh, Facebook yeah. And then you get the coast to call. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you were really embracing your desire, what would you do? You, you'd sit there and you go, yeah, I'd like to get to know Fab. Okay, I'm going to give him a call or, or something. And next time I see him, I'm going to say, look, I want to come around. I want to get to know you, man. Mm. I want to come around and we can spend a bit of time together. And that's what I'd like. Uh, and just get to know you a bit. Now, if the reason why I wanted to get to know you was that I was all needy for your company, then then you'd go, well, this is pretty uncomfortable. AJ's just really needy for me, you know, and, and I don't like that much, and, uh, you know, so I'll tell him that, you know, and, and you'll get some feedback about this impure desire. And then you could, then the man could, who, who needs, who wants to visit Fab and go, okay. That's interesting. Fab's feeling that I'm trying to take from him rather than, you know, just get to know him. So, you know, this is where I can now start working through something. But if I don't take that original action, I'll never find out. And if I sat down in my chair going, yeah, it'd be nice to have a relationship with Fab, and then the next day, yeah, it'd be nice to have a relationship with Fab, and the next week, next month, next year, nice to have a relationship with Fab, I'll never meet him. You've really lived a good life, haven't you? Yeah, I've lived my whole life, and I've never met the person I wanted to have a relationship with. If you, if you really desired the relationship, can you see you would always act? You would always take an action of some kind to... And you would overcome your fear in doing so. So if your fear is that maybe Fab... You know, sometimes Fab's got a cross look on his face. Maybe, you know, maybe he might reject me. You know? mm. And that's just a fear. I've got to know. It's just a fear, really, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, I'm not going to know until I try and uh, and if I if I live by that fear, then I'll probably still sit on my backside without doing anything. So so this is very important to recognise that we need to 
feel this desire, but but we also need to act upon it. It, it. In fact, what I encourage anybody to do is as soon as they notice a desire of any type, they need to immediately act upon this yeah. desire. Which sort of leads to the next bit. Yeah. Which did we cover a bit? Uh, There's still so much more. Pass away, my friend. Um, it leads to the next bit of, um, I, I, of a scenario that I've got that, you know, I want to learn, like, I, I desire God. Yeah. And, and God's there, you know, I want to love God. Wouldn't God want me to know all of me? including all of what I desire because I've gotten a comment once that I desire God I'm like and yeah no, but I desire, desire God and and <laughs> like you yeah. can't just say I desire God and pray and write the whole time like what what else is it because is it true that God wants us to know all of who we are yeah remember everything? that God created us yeah so therefore God created a lot of our natural passions and personality Inbuilt and got inbuilt in many of these things within us, right? Mm. Now, if you're truly going to have a relationship with God, you're going to need through this process to discover yourself. Now, it's not a selfish process of discovering yourself. Which is where it gets tainted. Is where it gets tainted. Yeah, it's a process of engaging these passions and desires, understanding that that if they're pure, they're what God created you to be in the first place, right? And so once you start embracing those passions and desires, you start discovering more of yourself. And then you also have stronger feelings for God yeah. as a part of that process. And, and so it, this, I feel this whole process of people saying that they can not discover anything about themselves and do only what they believe to be God's will. And this is a very you know, counterproductive process in terms of having a relationship with somebody. It's like, a, it's like if you're a father and you are a father and you've got a child that, you know, is your, is your child, you, you don't want them to do what, you, what they believe you want them to do. Mm. What you want them to do eventually is to discover what they want to do and to do it with passion and desire. And this, this would bring you a lot of pleasure to see of course, yeah. you know, them do that. And God's very, very similar to this, like in the sense that God is has a lot of uh, joy it, watching His children embrace their own personality and passion and desire, and and God sees that as a prayer to God as they do that. Yeah. Even and even an atheist in that place is praying to God, yeah. really, in a lot of ways. And God will fulfil that person's desires yeah. if the desires are in harmony with love and pure. And so it doesn't really matter about the person's belief in God even. If they understand this, under, this underlying law, the law of desire, they, they would actually begin developing a relationship with themselves. Once you've got a relationship with yourself, you have the capacity to share yourself with another. You have the capacity to actually be yourself with a, with a, with another person, you tend to automatically um, observe things that are beautiful around you as well. Exactly, you yeah. become more observant, you become more open because you're actually experiencing more joy in your own life. You have less exhaustion. You have less uh, feelings of uh, tiredness and 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 withdrawal because you you're already feeling the joy of experiencing your own desires and passions and taking responsibility for that. The other thing too is that God wants us to take responsibility for our own life. 
A lot of people, when they begin a relationship with God, feel that oh, God reliance is sitting here and waiting for God to do things for me. You know, yeah. and that's not God reliance at all. God reliance is actually taking action upon your own desires and getting the feedback through that process as to whether these desires are pure or not, and then trusting this feedback but still embracing the underlying desire and, and going forward this way and growing in the process. Once you do that, you become a person who desires so many things, but you're not selfish in these desires yeah. uh, because many of your desires start getting this flavour of wanting to give yeah. to others. You find that your joy starts being enhanced by the giving to others. And so you're embracing these desires, you receive joy yourself, and because now your soul is so buoyant with its own joyousness, it then wishes to share its joy yeah. with others. It was hard, that first part of receiving the joy from giving. Like mm-hmm. At first it felt like I was taking, because yeah. I felt good to give, and then I'm like, well, now I'm feeling good, so I must be taking something. So, <laughs> but to actually... Uh, um, like the feeling of giving and receiving at the same time was a tricky part for me to learn. Yes. Like, just to yep. sort of feel into is now it's starting to feel a lot easier and a lot better, and I feel a lot better with doing it. But it starts off really confusing because you think yeah. it's a bit selfish, and then. You know, it's sort of like it, it's, the statement I made in the first century is that there's more happiness in giving than there is in receiving. And, and this is what happens you start embracing this process of giving. And connecting to your own joy and desire yeah. in, in a passionate area, in a passion that you have. And then you start feeling like, wow, this feels like fun. And then you start, then unfortunately most people go, oh, I feel a bit guilty that I'm having fun and everyone else seems to not have as much fun as me. Yeah. <laughs> and you start worrying that you're taking. Which is, but, which is where I started. Like, mm-hmm. I did go through that. Yeah. I had to feel that because it probably did stop a lot of my desire. But yeah, it, yeah that was one part of it. Yeah. How about this other sort of grey area? Now, I um, I have all these physical addictions, okay? So I love my hot chips and yeah. I love having, you know, chocolate and, you know, and I love all this coffee and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. you know, AJ says, that you, you know, have coffee. And I'm like, I don't care that. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now... I felt that if I use the law of desire in regards to these physical addictions but embrace the other things like love, truth and humility in that kind of mm-hmm. place, mm-hmm. the more I grow my humility, the more I start to feel whether it feels good to me to do it or not. Yes. But like, so for example, like I used to wake up in the morning, which I don't anymore, and have coffee. And I didn't stop it because... You said so. Well, I never said to anybody stop coffee. coffee did no, I? no, like not not in that. Yeah, like that. It's. I just not pointed out it was an addiction. addiction. <laughs> I just stopped because I felt bad about the addiction. Basically, yeah. I said no. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to keep doing it until my body, and I get humble enough to feel how it feels inside of me. Yeah, that's very good. Now that's that's the grey area that I'm talking about. Like. Uh, I get home from a gig and I feel like having crunching up cornflakes. Yeah, I'll have them. Yeah, <laughs> like it doesn't bother me at all. Like if that, you know, any of these kind of things. But I feel that when people start to learn about this kind of truth, they stop all these things that they enjoy doing, and then they've stopped all these physical addictions. But they're not treating you very well. Well, there's two issues there, isn't there? There's the first one of um, really guilt is driving them. They feel they've sort of got a voice going on in their head. Oh. That's an addiction, that's an addiction. Yeah. A lot of times they don't even know whether it's an addiction. 
let's face it. But that's where, that's where you experiment. Yeah, yeah that's, that's where right. you experiment. Yeah. But, but they tell they have this voice going on in their head, and often, unfortunately, it's mine. Uh, going on in their head. <laughs> <laughs> They're going like... Oh, it's an addiction. Yeah, it's an addiction, it's an addiction. And then they feel a little guilty, and they go, yeah, it's an addiction, it's an addiction. So I've got to try and force myself out of this addiction. Um, and the reality is, what, what they really need to do is, if it is an addiction, is they need to ask themselves, what, what does the addiction cover over? What, what it, every addiction covers over a fear of some kind, and... And it would be far wiser to, to actually focus on, rather than just stopping the action and then thinking, oh, I'm pretty good now because I've stopped that addiction. Yeah, that's that one, but that's, so here's a new one. <laughs> and the unfortunate thing about doing that is the addiction still exists in the yeah. soul. It's just not coming out as an action anymore. Yeah. It's far better to have it coming out as an action so you can at least recognise when you had it yeah, than it was no longer coming out as an action and now you can't see when you've got the addiction yeah. at all. So, and then you also have this arrogant thing going, oh, I've cured that addiction when the reality is inside of the soul. There's no cure whatsoever. You're still doing exactly the same thing. So it's far better to go, okay, I can feel this addiction. I'm not saying, though, that people should automatically embrace their addictions because, you know, some of these addictions can be quite harmful. So, so if you look at the addiction to get enraged with others, for example, that's a pretty harmful yeah, addiction. Balance out whether you know something's unloving or not. Like, I'm talking about the area that you sort of that you don't know. don't sort of know about. Some well, you, you know, know plain right that you do that, you're going to yeah. hurt someone. Or some you're not convinced, isn't there? There's some issues yeah. you're not convinced about. So when a person hears uh, my comments about coffee, they they often are not convinced, and that's fine. Like they don't have to be convinced. Yeah, like I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. and the key <laughs> the key is to go. Okay, I'll still have my coffee, and then sit. And you can experiment with that. You can not have your coffee one day and see what that feels like. And, and you know, you might... Yeah, which I don't do anymore because I felt sick. Yeah. So I went and hated it all the time and said, don't worry. And then the softer I started to feel, the more I started to get aware of what my body was doing when I had it. Yeah. So it's like... It starts, you can start feeling it's hyper. Yeah, I was numb to it before. Yeah. But the more I'm getting into desire and all that kind of stuff, yeah. and softening, I could start to feel that my body just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Like, every time now I'm associated, I'm going to stop for a week. Yeah. And then I had it, oh, no, I need to do Sunday coffee. Yeah, yeah. Then I had a coffee on the Sunday, I went, oh, it's just not right. <laughs> if I have a coffee now, I stay up. I stay awake for three days straight. Yeah. <laughs> So, but I didn't try to, I challenged the addiction, but I think I went more trying to feel into how I felt. And that's really how it needs to happen. So there are some things that are obvious that the addiction is damaging yeah. other people and so forth, but yeah. there's other things that you're probably just damaging yourself with. Yeah. And uh, and you need to have a look at, you know, chocolate, some for example. Yeah, I chocolate. Still like chocolate. Chocolate. Like chocolate. Chocolate. fashion. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, there's certain reasons why we do all the things we do. As we work our way through things emotionally, you find you get to the point where you go, oh, that, that food makes me feel a bit sick now. You know? yeah. I used to love uh, salt and vinegar chips, right? A lot. When I say a lot, <laughs> you know, I would get like, you know those big, you know, 200 gram bags yeah. and I'd polish off the whole bag, no worries at all. No sharing. <laughs> My bag, you know? And now when I, when I eat them now, like I eat maybe five or ten chips and then I put it away and then five or ten more chips and I put it away and you know one bag of 200 gram bag will last me you know a couple of weeks you know? yeah. um, and I, I can starting to recognize what what it is that I, I that driven me to have that desire yeah. over my life 
Uh, and what's driven me is a lot to do with my childhood and what happened when you know when we weren't allowed to have chips and you know the, also the taste of vinegar for some reason it's still you know there's something there you know that I like the taste of vinegar and, and I don't really understand why at this point but um, you know you, you work your way through it. You're not going to stop having them because you don't know really. No well, what's the point of stopping it until you know. Exactly. Um, and if you feel uh, you know, it'd be different if I felt that things were dying as a result of my addiction or, or something then like that. Then you'd sort of know, though, wouldn't you, then, in a way? That well, then I'd know how strong my addiction is, yeah. but I, if I'm willing to see things die as a result of my addiction, then I'd see how strong my addiction yeah. is, but I, but I still might not recognise it, you yeah. know, and I need to work my way through the issues. I'm starting to see with that particular thing with chips, it's a, for me it was all about... Um, some covering over feelings of am I worth something, you know, that I need to, need and still am working through. Um, so, you know, every addiction is different. Yeah. And unless you begin to... If you stop your addictions without addressing the soul-based reason why you have them, then you really have the yeah, addiction still. Really, yeah, that's the main bit of it. The addiction yeah. still within you. Yeah. Now, that's very different to desire. Yeah. Desire doesn't damage anyone. Yeah. It doesn't uh, affect your own body negatively. In fact, it affects your body positively. It doesn't. Uh, it, it it cures problems in the world rather than creating them. Yeah. It is a sharing of yourself rather than a demand for yourself. And so, desire is very, very different in its nature. You know. And so, for example, desire for a certain type of food. You know, they say you desire a fruit, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of that is driven by a dis- certain healing properties of that particular food. You know, all these other factors that are a part of that, and uh, and so you can see with desire is very very different. We we have all sorts of desires, physical, uh, you know, things like food based desires and so forth. Sexual in nature, so sexual desire is something God inbuilt within us as well to 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 enjoy. We have des- spiritual desires. We have love-based desires, soul-based desires. Uh, these all, all of these desires in all of our different areas of our life bring us joy. The key is to purify them as much as we possibly can yeah. because the more we purify them, the more joy we'll experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I wouldn't, you know, these grey areas, like you say, and I encourage people to experiment with them. Yeah, you don't you have to. That. You don't have to, you know, I just said that, you know, if you're drinking coffee, it means you're addicted to coffee. And I haven't actually said that. I've said that coffee can be an addiction. Uh, and, and oftentimes there's substances in coffee, of course, like caffeine, which are addictive in their nature. They, they give us a certain feeling that causes us to feel like we're invincible when we before then we felt quite differently and and those kind of underlying feelings are what we're going for and we've got to begin asking us the asking ourselves the question why once we become at one with god all of our addictions will have gone all of all of them and but but it's no good throwing them away before you understand what they're before about. Before you're one with God, really. Well, no, I don't. I I, I feel you can throw them away before oh, you're yeah. one with God. I just just don't see the point of getting rid of them when you don't know what they're about. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you don't know what they're about, then getting rid of them all that does is stops you from being conscious of them. Yeah. Do, do you see? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. 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 Whereas if you if you allow yourself to feel them, then at least you're conscious of them you can still feel what the problem is. Um, 
if you get rid of the addiction without feeling it, then then you really still got the problem inside and you're not conscious of it anymore. In yeah. fact, you believe it's cured many yeah. times and you haven't cured it at all. So, yeah. So, so you know, yeah, that's why I think I brought that up because it's still based upon the law of desire. Like, yes. Yes. So the law of desire could be what big things that are in harmony with God, and the law of desire also activates you working on experimenting these little things in your life that all to do with yourself so that's why I wanted to sort of cover that in Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. because I get asked that all the time like yeah there's a strong uh, judgment that comes out of people yeah regarding when they hear so-called truth they have this strong judgment where they feel now they've got to live that truth even if they haven't changed in their soul towards that truth so so if they hear a truth about like for example I've talked to people about you know, love would sooner or later mean that you'd give up meat in your life, you know, because you love the animals and you don't want to see them harmed and destroyed. So you would actually give up this process of eating meat for other reasons too. Love of love of the environment, love of some of people, because there's a lot of people's livelihoods getting destroyed mm. by this demand that we have for meat as well. So there's quite a lot going on with regard to the demand for meat. So so sooner or later we would give up our desire for meat. But if the person who hears those words then goes, oh, I have to give up meat, and I really like meat, you know, like, then if they don't address that issue and they just give up meat yeah. because they've been told to, or they believe they've been told yeah, to. Yeah, that's when you have to bring the humility and all that kind yeah, of that, stuff. Yeah, they're not addressing the underlying emotional reason why they've done it. And if they don't address the underlying emotion and why they've done it, then their body will demand it still, and this is how many of them become emancipated. You know, they you know they lose all this weight and everything because the, the body, their soul, is still desiring the meat that they've given up. Yeah. If if your body has uh, stopped desiring it, and you've truly given it up in your soul, then you won't lose weight. You know, you won't. You, you when I say you won't lose weight, you won't go so thin that you know you go to the doctor and the doctor says, "Oh, it's because you're lacking protein." You, that won't never happen to you if if you you have given up the desire yeah. for it in your soul. So you know, we, we need to address those particular issues in in a truthful manner. So I'm not saying to a person if you hear that you need to give up meat to become more loving and then you ponder about it yourself and you go, yes, I can see the point to that. And, you know, that that's great. And then so then you stop eating meat. That's that's great. But don't think you've cured the soul-based problem yeah. because you haven't. Yeah. And and it's only by curing the soul-based problem that, that, you're, that your actual body will re- retain its current weight yeah. and will, will actually purify itself anyway. So, because giving up stuff like that shouldn't be an effort. Like, I feel like if if that I'm trying to make it sense of it, it shouldn't be an effort for that. It, you should just want to stop as soon as you deal with that issue. It just stop automatically, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't know. Fab. Like, you know, there. Are, I feel there are some addictions that we have on the planet that are so damaging to others that it's worth the effort to give it up. Okay, yeah. However, don't think that once you've given it up that you've actually cured the real cause of the problem because the real cause of the problem is an emotion inside of the soul that drove you to it in the first place and it's one thing to give up the action and I do believe we need to give up actions that we know are unloving even intellectually but but quite another to believe that we've cured the problem in our soul 
because the because the reality is curing the problem in the soul is is a lot more involved to it than just taking an action and giving up a yeah, particular which goes thing. to that knowing something's a loving and yeah. yeah. So, so just because we stopped eating meat, it doesn't mean we still don't have the problem that drove us to eat meat. Mm. And if we're truly sincere with our soul, we'll go into the emotion that caused us to have that particular problem rather than... And a lot of times that might be things like, I just want mum and dad's approval. Yeah. Like, or just basic things like that. You know, you know, our parents taught us that without meat, you're not going to be a strong man. So... So, you know, you have this belief in you that without meat, you're just going to be a weakling. And and ironically, if you have that belief, your body will just shed weight until you are a weakling, until you address that problem, if if you give up meat. But but, but I feel that once we hear that something is damaging to others, if there is no other way to change it other than giving it up, we need to give it up. up. Um, You know... If there is a, another way to do it, then I don't feel we need to give it up uh, so strongly. We need to look at changing the way that we do it yeah. rather than giving it up. So there are some things that damage other people um, in the, in the, the world we live in. Yeah. For example, you know, at the moment, a lot of diamond mining damages people. Yeah. So we could choose to give up having a diamond ring, you know, giving up a desire for a diamond ring. But at the end of the day, (laughs) we are able to produce diamonds without harming people. So wouldn't it be better to take action to make sure that that the diamond mines are brought into more harmony with love, you know, and all those kind of things, if we still want those particular things? And they are quite handy, to diamonds are, to to us in terms of tools and so forth. So, you know, we need to take some other maybe alternate action other than just giving it up. However, with eating meat, things die every single time. Every single time I've eaten some meat, something's had to die to get it on my plate. And so, you know, my feelings there is no matter what alternative there is, uh, with regard to my demand for meat, something's going to die. So in the end, I can see that, yes, perhaps I need to give up that particular desire that I have, which obviously is not a pure desire if something else has to be harmed for it to be fulfilled. Of course, yeah. And if you give up the mean you haven't dealt with it, you're going to walk past a steak one day and smell it. And exactly. <laughs> and going to the emotion is still, still going to have to get activated. Yeah. Yeah. So I, don't, I feel under those circumstances, yes, give up the meat, but understand that the underlying desire is still present and there is a need for you to address it mm-hmm. at some point in the future. And it, and it will be emotional. It's got yeah. to be emotional before it be released. So... Um, you know, it's very important for us to see those particular things, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this is where desires, even that we begin... If, we, if we're self-reflective, desires that we have, we'll question whether they are harming other people or not. So, so many people on the planet have desires that harm other people. You know, a desire to pick up a gun and shoot it at somebody is a desire to harm a person. So, you know... If you're self-reflective, you go, am I harming somebody through this desire mm. that I have? If I'm harming somebody, then perhaps I need to relook at my motivations. Which is a way to sort of judge your purity of your desire. Yes. Yeah. If I'm bringing harm to another person, harm that I would not wish to have brought to myself, then, um, which is an issue of ethics, then obviously my desire is impure and needs to be brought into more harmony with love. If I'm self-reflective, I would go, wow, yeah, I, you know, I'm willing to shoot another person with this gun, so 
you know, there's a big problem with this desire that I've got with regard to this gun. And if that's, you know, that's something I need to purify, I need to work my way through so that I don't have that desire anymore. And, and you know, you can change desires that are out of harmony with love. You can change them only by addressing the underlying motivation, the underlying yeah. emotional reason why you have them. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. yeah. I feel a lot, what a lot of people do with desire is they're worried that their desire is unloving. Mm. Now, I feel it's quite obvious when our desires are unloving yeah. because our desires that are unloving do actually directly harm other people. However, there is this claim that we seem to have on the planet that if a person is in their passion and desire that's truly loving, other people around them say, you're not loving me anymore. And a lot of times that is all because the other person is no longer getting an addiction. addiction yeah. And I don't agree with uh, you know, the, those kind of situations being unloving. Um, and this is where experimentation with our desires needs to... We need to experiment. We need to be allowed to discover whether our desires are unloving or not. And if we notice they are unloving, and primarily the underlying reason why we might believe they're unloving is because it brings harm to something or someone mm. and if it does bring harm to something or someone including ourselves then we must question, question it, yeah. why we have this desire and a lot of times under those circumstances what we believe our desires are really addiction mm -hmm. but but there are many many desires that we have and in fact the way God's created the universe there's an unlimited number of desires we can actually express that have no harm brought to another person and in fact help other benefit yeah. and help ourselves and help our relationship with God and help our relationship with our partner and our friends and help us express our personality to the people and these desires are desires that we need to passionately embrace and and go with for the rest of our life and grow mm -hmm. and 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 encourage uh, whenever we see them in ourselves encourage them to grow you know take actions so that they grow yeah. yeah, And now I feel once we do that, we start to embrace our true nature and personality and we have some joy about our true nature and yeah. personality. So we gain some self-awareness um, self and some self-pride, I suppose, is the word that we often use today, but it's not really the right word. It's more like a self-assuredness and, and a joy about our own nature. That, and once you start experiencing that then it doesn't matter who attacks you around you. You still feel joy about yeah. your own nature. And, yeah. you, know, you, enjoy, you enjoy yourself as much as you enjoy anybody else. And, and, and in that place, uh, that's when you can have a good relationship with a partner. That's when you can have an excellent relationship with children. That's when you can have a beautiful relationship with God in that place. Because yeah. you're embracing who God designed you to be. Yeah. Yeah. You said that... Um Desire doesn't involve anybody else. Like if it's pure, yep. it's just you. Yes. What about stuff like making a movie? Well, I feel again, desire doesn't involve anybody else. So a person who's truly passionate in their desire to make a movie would take responsibility for all aspects of the movie yeah. initially. And acting. But the interesting thing about desire is that it attracts other people with the same desires, yeah. as you know. Yeah. So, so let's say I'm a musician and I have a desire to, you know, sing and uh, and present and and you know give the joy of the music that I'm creating to, to others. I won't be demanding that they listen. No. 
and I won't be demanding that a guitarist and a bass player and a drummer and a, you know, all come and you know, and I make them come to practice every Sunday or whatever to to make it happen, right? However, when I fully express my desire in a humble and pure way, I will probably attract. Yeah, they just want to be part of it. They want to be a part of it. They'll feel the enthusiasm themselves. They they feel the expression of their own desire in it. They feel the passion that you're feeling, and that's infectious. Yeah, and then they want to be a part, and they'll say, "Oh, and can we practice twice a week? Because that's really good. We like practicing. We want to get better. Yeah, we want to get better, and we want to, you know, we want to do these extra songs, and we're going to have to get to know those songs to do them. And you know, we want to write some stuff too. Can we get together and do that? And you won't have to tell any of them what to do. You know, they'll be all going, "When's our next chance? You know, to do what we love." You know, and and the beauty of desire is that it is infectious like that. It, 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 desire in one person. And once it's fully engaged, it's all, almost like everyone around you goes, wow, I'm allowed to have that desire too. Wow, that's really good. If and that's then, not happening, then it's something inside, like an addiction maybe? or Oftentimes there is something inside or a fear inside. Fear, yeah. you, know? so you see, some people embrace their desire, but they're afraid that if other people get involved, their desire might get that's tainted. It's like this control or, thing that I've, I've um, just witnessed, for example, like... Someone had an idea for something, mm-hmm. and instantly where I went was like, great, we can go into the arts team with it, and then invite people to learn, and then other people out there will get love, and the person just went, I don't know, you know, like, I'm too scared to even get out of this box, and you've already seen the whole world affected. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah people get afraid of the scope. And so what a lot of people also do is they're very, very protective about the source of the information. So these are fears. Those are very unloving, actually. Yeah. So, so I often see a person go, oh, I, I love to write a book. And we go, oh, well, do you need, do you need an illustrator for a book? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I can't do the illustrations for the book. Oh, we know someone who would love to do that. And, and the two people get together and then the illustrator says, yeah, she doesn't want my illustrations. And we go, oh, okay, no worries. Uh, oh, not only didn't she want my illustrations, she's telling me they're not much good. Okay, no worries. She's allowed to have her opinion. But, but, but in the end, it squashed desire. Yeah. Does that make sense? And now, now what happens is the thing that could have been created gone out to... is no longer being created. And as a result, nothing further can happen. Yeah. And, and this is what I feel a lot of people don't understand too is that if you don't embrace your desires and passions where you're at in terms of your ability and experience to achieve them, but rather you expect everything to be perfect and as you imagine it to be, you're not going to go through a process of growth with your desire. And the problem with desire, well, when I say the problem with desire, it's not a problem with desire, it's a problem with the lack of it. The problem with a lack of a pure desire is that if, if we don't engage the desire, the next step cannot occur. Yeah. So what I see happening for a lot of people is they engage one step. They weren't happy with its outcome. Things were triggered emotionally inside of them. And then they decide to not engage the next step. Mm-hmm. Or they start to engage the one step, but things don't happen the way they want them to happen, which is actually to do with control, manipulation, yeah. and other unhealed emotions. Yeah, it's not the way I want it to be done. And, and instead of addressing those emotions, what do they do? They don't address those emotions. They say, no, this is no good happening this way. But the problem is, because nothing was created, nothing beyond that point can be created. Yeah. So it's sort of like, desire is like a stairwell. 
that's how I see it to an yeah. degree, that unless you have the first desire and act upon it and actually do something yeah. and engage whatever is brought to you, including <laughs> the different attractions of people and so forth, to engage that particular process and work through the emotional issues that are unloving in the process, then the next stair, well, stair, step can never be made. And it's also, if you have that control, you can't even get someone that's on a higher step to pull it up a bit and take it further. Exactly. Because right? you're controlling where, where you want it to go. Exactly. You'll never meet the people who yeah. can help you and yeah. assist you in your yeah. desire. Because you have this welling of desire, you've got this idea, and someone else can see it go bigger. Because you've got this fear and control, you can't just sort of energetically just feel into the, where yeah. it could go. Yeah. And a lot of times we have a lot of ownership of our yeah. of our That's big creations. Music, I feel like big in the, well you think the whole copyright industry is all about yeah. ownership as you know. It's, it's all about I want everyone to acknowledge that I created this. Instead of going I want everybody to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> and and is and if it's copyrighted that's a limitation on it's being heard. Um People go, I want everybody to, know, to realize that I was the one who created and I want everybody to realize that I was the one who made it and I want everybody to pay me for the fact that I made it and these are now all of my fears being expressed. And of course, the problem with that is that uh, the, my desires are not going to be generally reached very easily unless yeah. I have a very good product. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my product won't be refined. You know, the, the thing yeah, that I'm producing. Yeah, that's the bit I'm talking about too. Is like that refinement happens when you allow it to, and you allow yourself to go into the fear that it could be. Yeah. Because the thing I feel is that I, when I see something nowadays, more now than before, I can see how I can impact everyone involved and everyone that's could potentially receive. Right from it yeah, so yeah. like everyone in it can grow in love yeah. and then everyone that sees or hears or whatever can connect to the love or grow in love as well yeah. but I don't know how that looks when you go there I just know that well you know the question you asked about the guy who wants to make movies yeah um, if you look at you look at this infectious nature of desire and you look at the desire being pure now if he wants to make movies he's going to need a script yeah. he's going to need a story he's going to need uh Resources. He's going to need cameras. He's going to need a director, perhaps. He's or he might want to be the director. Desire's already stopped yeah. there. You know, there's all these things, and then people go, "Ah, oh, I need all these things. I haven't got all these things. Oh, I must give up." Now, now a person with a desire goes, "Okay, I'm going to do every one of those things because I, I'm not waiting for anybody to come along to do it for yeah. me." Right. So then he starts engaging it. You know, these desires that he has. So he starts writing a script, and people ask him, "What are you doing?" I'm writing a script for a movie. Who, who for? For myself. <laughs> you know, like, I want to make this movie and this is, I think I've come up with a good story and, oh, can I read it? Yeah, sure you can read it. So, you know, it gives yeah. it to someone who, yeah, that's really good. Would you like some help with that? Like, I, I, I'm into sound, you know, like, I can do sound recording and, uh, you know, like, and then, Gross. you know, and then all of a sudden, if the man retains his desire yeah, yeah. and also is willing to purify it, all of a sudden, more and more and more yeah. and more people will be attracted to yeah, the that's project what I love about it. until yeah. such a point that what he wanted to create can be created. Yeah. And the money will come along and yeah. the resources will come along and the actors will come along and the musicians will come along and all the other things yeah. required to build the movie that he wants to build will all come along in the process. And, and he still didn't need anyone to do it. He's no. Still, yeah. Now, that might not all come it along for his first project. Yeah. In his very first project, he might have had to do every single one of those himself. 
But yeah. now he knows everything. Too. But now he also has the advantage. Yeah. yeah, he knows how to do every he knows job. Knows how it all works. He knows how it all works. He knows he has some experience. And then he embraces his next job. There'll be people who see or saw his previous one yeah. who want to be involved. And then you see it's like a stepping stone. He's not going to go from no movie to worldwide attention movie in one step. No. There is no, no person that's ever done that, I no. believe. What you do is you go step, 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 step. We have to have that willingness to learn, don't you? Which is like, of course. with any desire, you have that period where you've got that frustration and all that where you have to learn. Yeah, and not only frustration, but also you feel like, oh, it's going slowly, so you need to learn patience, you need to embrace the underlying emotional reasons why it's being all resisted. these purifications from God to help you. Even accessing that desire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So God's going... In the end, yes, you're going to have exactly what you want. However, it has to be brought into harmony with all my laws of love, which means some purity has to come into it, some passion has to come into it. It means, you know, all these things. So God's automatically trying to teach us through these laws that are all present. And the more we come into harmony with each law, the faster our desires become fulfilled. And so God's got this lovely way of, of helping us develop our desire in harmony with love and truth, in the direction that our, that our soul wishes to take, and and if we embrace that process, anybody else who also wants to be involved in a similar kind of process starts embracing the process around us, and we eventually become a team of people who create, create, yeah. and it's more harmonious with love and pure. And exactly, yeah. and we're not creating just for the sake of our own glory or our own attention yeah. or our own fulfillment anymore. It's got this natural giving in it. Exactly. It? Yeah. There's all these people receiving you have all to try these gifts. To be giving. Yep. It becomes that. Uh, yeah. That's it. Yeah, and that that's the power of desire. The power of desire not only affects our own life and our own soul and our own direction but it actually affects the direction and lives of every single person around us once we exercise it in harmony with love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great, Ajay. I've got so many more, but you tell me when you want to stop. Um, I might need to just have a toilet break for a yeah. sec, and, and then we can continue. What is the time? It's about past 11. Okay, yeah, we've still got another 45 yeah, minutes. Yeah, so, well, so I'll just have a break. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so I was thinking, Fab... Um, that this noble effect of desire we need to discuss a bit. Yeah. If, if when I look at uh, my own relationship with yourself, actually, you know how we met and all those kind of things, mm-hmm. um, I can see firstly that I had to follow my own desires and passions about spreading the truths that are, that, that I've discovered, and and I had to be willing to talk to groups of people who were quite attacking initially. You know, they they didn't really want to hear anything about it. And, that often laugh at me and, and deride me and all sorts of things. And then eventually after I, you know, worked through those particular emotions that, you know, I felt hurt about, I started attracting groups of people who wanted to listen. And then in the process of attracting groups of people who wanted to listen, um, I finished up meeting you, right? And then, you know, and you were a person who was working, painting and, um, you know, like you said, 10% of your, you know, your work life was joy and the other 90% was just torture. Yeah. And, and in hearing some of these things about the law of desire, you go, desire, desire, oh, I understand that. You, get, you got something yourself personally and then you decided to embrace that particular principle with your own life and then you went off with your own life and we'll interview you later, I feel, about what, you know, what's happened in your own life with regard to this one yeah. principle. Yeah. And 
Um, and this is how the, snow, the snowball effect of desire. So my desire to do one thing was, was embraced by myself. Yeah. Nobody else had to embrace it with me or anything else. And I had to purify it as I, as I went. In that process, I eventually meet a person like yourself. You hear one of the things that I've presented. You understand it with your heart. It motivates you to embrace your own desires and passions. And then off you go doing a whole series of things. Um, and this is how lives in desire touch other lives in yeah. desire. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, it's, and this snowball effect where one person's life in desire touches another person's life, they follow their desire, that touches a heap of other people's lives and they follow their desires. And before you know it, you have this uh, effect, this multiplication effect of a person living in their desire and passion. Yeah. And, and it doesn't mean that every life they touch is a life that is going to have the same desire and passion yeah. that the original person has. Because then you get an expectation. Exactly. And in fact, oftentimes that's not the case at all. Yeah. So your desires and passions are not directly in exactly the same line as my desires and passions. Yeah. So there's a thing that i got here that people ask. There's, and it's a common question. Yeah. Um, I have a desire to teach truth. Yeah. Now, we all have a different way to do that, don't we? We do. So, like, I've got a desire to teach truth, but it's not like you. No. Like, I, I won't be doing seminars drawing male or female. <laughs> exactly. You, you, you might know, find that pretty boring. Right? Like, I, it just doesn't even work for me. Yeah. Like, exactly. yeah. It's not a whereas, whereas, mine, whereas mine would be more like playing music or, you know, helping other people play music and connect with their passion, that, yeah. which is a different way of teaching truth, but... People see, you know, like you're always the way, but I, I, I don't know. Like, I think if everyone engages the desire, they'll have their own different, unique way to teach love. Yeah, it'd be pretty boring, isn't it? You go and see Jesus talk about a subject, and he talks about it one way, and then you go and see another person talk and about a subject, and he talks about it exactly the same way, and then you go and see another person, he talks. After the third person, you're going to go, I don't think I'll be seeing any more of these talks. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but if you if you had if you went and saw me do do it one way, and then you went and saw Fab, and he, the way he taught was through his yeah. expression of his music, yeah. and then you sit, go and see someone else, and the way they teaching is through the expression of their art, right, yeah. and then you see someone else and they're doing it through their dra- dramatizations and, and someone else is doing it through their construction yeah. and someone else is doing it with what they how they you know do the environment yeah. and so forth now the whole thing becomes absolutely fascinating yeah like yeah. to to actually engage each particular experience yeah so yeah that's what i, I felt like i should have added to that snowball yeah. thing because everyone's got their own way Everyone has their own personality exactly. and everyone does have their own way in the sense that we all need to follow the way to God, of course, but yes. the way to God is to embrace our personal desire right. and passion, which is different. Mine is going to be different to yours, not the same. Yeah. So these people who say to me, oh, I've got a desire to teach the truth, and I ask, well, how are you going to do that? What, what are you doing right now to embrace that desire? And they say, oh, you know, I'm advertising it. Well, I've never advertised it. And I'm, you know, putting notices up. Well, I've never actually put a notice up in my entire life, actually. <laughs> you know, about anything. Even an ad, I haven't even put a notice about an ad for, for anything I'm sold, actually. <laughs> but, and, like, I've never put notice up about what I'm teaching. 
so so that's interesting too like that somebody feels they need to do that mm. I feel when you embrace your passion and desire purely it's like all of these things come to you rather than you having to go chasing them all yeah do, do, do you know what I mean so that's happened to your life too yeah. I feel that happens to pretty much everyone I know who's in their pure passion yeah. and desire things just seem to they embrace the little step you know this yeah. first step and then because they've embraced the first step some things happen <coughs> and then the next steps embrace so how could it the way so, I see is if how could it not happen because if you're in your desire, you're doing it a lot of the time. Yeah. But anyone that sees you, they're seeing you in your desire a lot of the time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like when they see you, they see you in the desire and then it just sort of... Has an effect on them. Yeah. Then they have a desire to do something and they have a desire. And before you know it, everyone's got sort of like a different desire. Like I don't desire to produce any video or anything. Like that's not my desire. Like I, I, to be honest, I've had 25, 30 years of life in front of a computer and 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 I'm not that impressed with that kind of a life, <laughs> you know. And it doesn't bring me much joy or anything like that personally. But I know there are people who just love that creative part of you know their nature uh, of of sitting down and producing something mm-hmm. like that, you know, whether it be a movie or a video of some kind or mm-hmm. a teaching or documentary or whatever. Now that doesn't appeal to me. That you know that's not the part of my dis- the of my own passion and desire that I feel strongly attracted to but I understand that other people do and so I'm very happy for people to get things that I'm involved in and then they express their desire desire. by grabbing that and putting that into some kind of and then and then yeah Yeah. and, and this is how things also grow as well I feel what happens is that people if people are pure about their own desire Sooner or later, you will attract a person that that will do the things that you're not desirous of. If you're de- if you stay in your desire, they will wish to express their desire through what they yeah. through what you're doing as well. So, so you get this sort of sharing effect um, that goes on where people are embracing their true passions and desires more and more. And and I believe that every single person has a unique personality. And as a result of that, they have unique passions and desires that are primary. You know, I think many of us, in the end, will end up having being passionate and desire about a lot of things. <laughs> but, but there are some basic, pure parts of our nature that are unique and very strong in comparison to all the other things that we might be interested in. And, uh, and those particular things, if we can discover them and embrace them, are the things that are going to completely change our lives and the lives of other people. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. It completely modifies everything around us because it, that's what desire does. It, it, it does modify firstly ourselves uh, in, through our growth, and, but also it, it, it is infectious. It, it, it affects every single person around us and, and helps them actually grow their own desires as well. Mm. And when you see a person in passion and desire, I don't know about you, but you always sort of feel like pretty cool it's pretty cool just to watch them sometimes isn't it like do do you find that like you think yeah wow they're really enjoying that this is so good just to sit and watch them enjoying that you know like you know sometimes when I go to a gig of someone who's really in their passion and desire or whatever I go yeah this is so cool being here like watching this person in their passion and desire and it's good stuff they produce and 
And even if it's not fantastically Perfect, good yeah, or perfect, it's not, about the, it's not about the perfection. It's about just just this beautiful way that you see their personality expressed yeah. through their engagement of their passion, yeah. and uh, and so you start to feel like you're getting to know the person. Yeah, yeah. Like you start to feel like you're seeing a part of their soul. You don't even talk to them or anything. Yeah, you already start to know them. Yeah, yeah, you sort of know know them better as a result of them embracing their passion and sharing that passion with the world. Yeah. yeah. So you, I love that feeling about, about passion and watching people embrace their passions. And, uh, and, you know, I love it when people just take responsibility for their passions and desires and roll with it. Yeah. And, and you see them roll with it to such an extent that people's lives around them change and they're in their joy and and you find I don't know about yourself too when you've watched people in their passion but you also find they have a lot more joy in their life they have a lot more feelings of um, fulfilment there's something pulling them it's not they just have this thing that they love doing uh, I don't know how to explain it I know what you're saying and you start seeing their true personality and nature and 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 in fact, in some ways, without them doing that particular thing, you don't really know them. Do you, you know what I mean? Like you, or, uh, that's what I feel a lot of times that you know it becomes their almost their signature of their personality. Um, yeah, I get it. You know, it's like when I see you walking around in the field playing guitar <laughs> to nobody in particular <laughs> and singing. There's lots of people there. You know, <laughs> and there's, I see Fab. There he is, just expressing his personality, and, and just my observance of that gets to me to see a part of your nature that if you hadn't embraced it I would never see yeah. and, and therefore never understand either never, never be able to understand where you're coming from with the, re- with the rest of your life yeah. um, and that's what I love about desire too it just yeah. it allows this embracing of a person's true nature yeah yeah, yeah. that's great yeah. That's great. there's um, what I've got in a lot is the Every time I say the word desire, mm-hmm. I feel a lot of people just—it's like it's like everyone just closed. Yeah. And there was another. Have you thought about why that is? Like, and they're not excited about it either. No. So not no. excited about desire or, or the, uh, my personal feelings about why it is is that there's just so much fear associated to it, like yeah. you know, and. and also like expectations and all these kind of things they have to meet up to something and yeah. you're a singer fab so you can you know your desire is going to be out there but I just like needing a fan yeah. you know like they compare desires yes and yeah, yeah. I feel that's really not good to do no you know, like, not at all yeah. yeah I agree I feel that fear is the primary reason why people when you start talking about desire become quite shut down yeah they are afraid of expressing their own desires. They compare themselves with other people through desire. They uh, shut down their own expression of their personality and nature because they're concerned that they might be humiliated through it. And so um, this is why having an embracing desire is so great for your growth. Because if if you do recognize a desire and embrace it, all of these fears will all start just 
coming out of you. <laughs> you know, you start feeling them every single moment. Yeah. You you go to do something, and you go, there's another fear, you know, like, you know that's freezing yeah. me and keeping me locked up and, and frozen in my passion, you know. And then you go to do another thing you desire. There's my stagnation, you know, there's why there's the reason why I want to stay home on the in, on the couch and yeah. watch telly all day, you know, and because of that particular feeling. And you start recognizing all these feelings that are driving your day-to-day behavior but driving your behavior to suppress your life rather than enjoy your life. And that's the beauty of desire too. I feel it exposes fears very rapidly, very rapidly. And I see people actually managing uh, their desires by their fears. And what I mean by that is I see people recognizing a passion and desire and then they feel the fear, like the fear that will never go. And then they convince themselves that that fear is true. So, for example, let's say, let's say you said to yourself, I want to just play music. That's all I want to do in my life. The first fear that will come up, where are you going to get your money from? Mm-hmm. Where are you going to get enough money to support your family, pay the bills, all that kind of stuff? So there's the fear, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the average person in that will go, yeah, so I'm not going to be able to do that. I might as well go and be a painter because I'll get work then. Good money too. Uh, you know, get some good money then. And, uh, and I'll, be, I'll be right. You yeah. know, I'll, I'll be able to support myself painting. And, and my primary passion, which is my music, instead of living it as my primary passion, it becomes my sideline interest, yeah. like it was for yourself, yeah. right? So, you know, you get a band on the weekends or whatever, you know, it becomes a sideline interest so that, so that you don't have to confront that fear, the fear that you have that you're not going to have enough money if you mm. embrace your true passion and desire. And I see people doing that all the time with their desires. They're constantly embracing their fear their fear tells them something and instead of saying to their fear no no i've had enough of you fear (laughs) i'm going to embrace my desire and refine it and if i refine it and trust god in this process i should be able to support myself through embracing my passion instead of doing it like that what they go is no it's not possible you know then they listen to other people like you know their parents or their family or their wife or husband or whatever else comes along, friends, you know, and they say, it's not possible, you know, do you know how many people live off music? There's hardly anybody that lives off music. It's very rare, you know, 99.9% of people who are interested in music, they never live off of music. They always have to have a primary job. And then, and then of course, they go, yeah, what you need to do is you need to go to uni for four years and get a qualification in a different area other than music because music is just going to it's going to make you morose and you're going to get so depressed about it and you know they tell you all these bad stories of things that they've heard about other people and so forth and before you know it you've, you've started to express this desire and now there's this heavy heavy feeling coming from the environment of oh it's never going to happen I'm never going to be happy and so you become so afraid that you don't embrace Stay it in this other path that's just yeah. not working and and then 20 years later in your life, you look back in your life and you go, gee, if I had not listened to all of those people and I just embraced my desire and I understood that I could refine it, every time my desires weren't met, that I understood that that meant God was saying to me, ah, the reason why something's not happening for you here is because there's some impurity in your desire. And if I understood that, I could look at what the impurity is and change that and therefore change the outcome, right? And if I understood those basic principles, 
then I, you know, look at what it would be like 20 years later, five years later. Well, you think about your own life two years later, <laughs> and then you think, well, what's the possibility 10 years' time if oh, I no, continue doing great, this, or 20 it? years' time? <laughs> you know, and it brings you this sort of, it also brings you this other emotion, this other emotion of feeling like, ah, my life's this passionate journey now. So instead of feeling like, oh, life, yeah, gee, I don't know if I want to hang around here with this life, you know, it's like boring or whatever. Instead of feeling all of those things now, you feel instead, right, a completely different feeling, which is, is wow, I want to get up each day. There's a new thing happening today, you know. And, and you start really enjoying yeah. your life. And in also not in enjoying your life, but also enjoying the possibilities of what your life will become. And everything else. And, and everything else that can happen as a result. And people and environment. Yeah, and who you're going to meet and what you're going to discover and where you're going to visit as a, pot, as a result of your passion. Mm. Like, and when I was 40, I'd never travelled overseas, ever. Um, I was 40 years of age and I'd never had a desire to travel overseas. I just had this feeling in me and I, and I started to understand it that I'd actually visited most places on the earth from a spirit perspective and so I didn't have a really strong desire to go there in the flesh and so um, that was by the time I was 40 and then somebody told me um, that I was going to visit all these different places in the world and I go yeah sure you know like <laughs> as if like that's going to happen right <laughs> I don't have a strong desire to do that but then once I really connected with my desires to share divine truth with people again I got all of these offers to go everywhere and, and I embraced them, you know. And in the last, like, ten years, I've been so many different places that I never would have imagined I'd ever have visited before. And, and that's a part of what happens when you embrace your design too. You start having a much more interesting life. Yeah. Things uh, start changing externally because you're in your passion. You, you start, so you start visiting places you would not have gone to before. You start seeing people that you might not have talked to before and you, you start having more interesting experiences that you might not have had before <coughs> and so forth. And the more you purify the desire of that, the greater those experiences become and the more impact they have on you and other people as you progress. So you know, these are all the underlying results of developing this quality of desire. And, and, and not listening to the fear that dominates it. Yeah. It's usually the fear that dominates desire. I've seen people with desire for something, and as soon as one fear was expressed, it was like there was no such thing as a desire in the first place. And I see that happening in between relationships even, where one half of a relationship expresses a desire, the other part, half of the relationship is feeling like confronted by that desire and feels angry or upset about the desire and that person just goes suppress, bang, all the joy is lost, all their passion is lost in their life just because of a fear of displeasing their partner for yeah. example and, uh, and so fear is a major impediment to desire yeah. and desire is a major confrontation of fear, fear yeah. and that's what I like about the two, the quality of desire as well yeah. um, you, you, you won't ever live in your fears while you have desire. Yeah, there's a question that I got, which is nice to check it. Yeah, it was, it was um, fear versus long. I mean, desire versus longing. Like, are they one of the same, or are they different? 
True, true desire is like longing. Yeah. It is they are the really the same, same kind thing. of emotion. If I can define them uh, so that people can maybe you know feel them a little better, longing is not a neediness. It's, neediness is a completely different emotion to longing. Longing is having a desire that also has faith. Mm. If, if we sort of marry those two qualities for a moment and we start to see what we mean by that. Um, and we can almost take any example, and I've taken in previous discussions the example of you know the, the people who built the first flying machine, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the White Wright brothers. Um, and it might not have been the first, it's just the first that we you know, record about, recorded about in history. But, um, but if, if you examine their underlying desire, their desire was married to this quality of faith. Um, because they needed to have some kind of idea of what the end result would be. Mm, they, to imagine and they needed to explore their imagination yeah. and allow their feelings to develop about what was possible yeah. before they could actually embrace their desire to achieve that particular thing, right? And, and this is where I feel the qualities of faith and desire are very much interwoven and to me that's what longing is almost like a it's a combination of desire and faith mixed together mm. faith in the sense that you feel that there is the potential of a certain type of outcome and that's why one of the reasons why you're exercising your desire in that direction mm. and desire is needed because if you don't exercise your desire in the direction nothing will actually happen no, nothing can happen because desire is what creates action yeah. And so um, a person needs both qualities in reality, this quality of faith and this quality of desire mixed together that will generate this powerful longing in their soul for whatever it is they're longing for. And, and if they embrace both of those qualities together, it's amazing what you can achieve. You can achieve things that other people have never even dreamed of. You see, if we only embrace desire by itself, most of the time we'll only achieve what other people have done. But if we embrace desire along with faith, we'll see the potentials of what has not yet been done and still wish to go ahead and do that too. I see many scientists embracing this kind of desire, you know, when it comes to looking for a cure of a disease or looking for some kind of new material or, you know, they have an imagination of what is possible, which is a faith, mm. along with an underlying desire to achieve it, which is their desire. And those two things create within them a longing to follow a certain course of action in order to achieve that particular end result. And their whole, it becomes their whole life's work. Yeah. And they're not unhappy about it. No. You know, they don't feel disappointed when one experiment fails because they still have this underlying feeling that's boiling in them, really, keeping them driven down a certain track. And, uh, and sometimes they have disappointments, but that, you know, yeah. they forget those disappointments and on they go again, you know? Yeah, like watching a lot of those documentaries about scientists and all that kind of making nanobots and all these kind of things, they don't stop. No, they no. just. And I feel a lot of uh, what, what, what I enjoy when I see scientists or watch scientists work is I enjoy it because they do, I do see them as expressing desire along with faith. Yeah. 
these are two qualities that they often have. In, even though they're atheists, yeah. <laughs> they do have, as many of them, have a strong desire and strong faith that they're going to be able to achieve that particular thing. And these are very uh, admirable qualities in terms of their own growth. And, uh, and to me, they, they drive, it drives, those qualities drive a lot of their life and drive a lot of their enjoyment in their life. Mm. And I feel that each of us have these underlying qualities that, that have the ability to be expressed. So if we have a neediness, then we do not have a longing and we do not have a faith mixed with desire. If we have a pure desire and a strong faith that we're able to achieve the underlying goals that we have, that, that we're expressing, and then we'll, we'll develop a deep longing for that particular course of action, and that longing will drive probably a lot of our life. Yeah. Uh, it will drive a lot of our experiences, it will drive a lot of the people we meet, a lot of them we'll meet will be surrounding that particular passion or desire. And if you look at the average person's life, that's exactly how their life works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you say, you know, to become a woman, you need to have that loving, longing desire for God. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically having the desire for God, but then having the faith that one day you'll end up... That, that I'm trying to understand it with that kind of respect. Yes, yeah. So <laughs> what I'm basically saying with our desire for God, if we have a longing for God, which is this combination of desire for God and faith that such a relationship can be yeah, achieved. Yeah. So that it requires both of those things. It's yeah. point, in fact, if you don't have faith, often desire is diminished. Because, you, because if, like, what's the point of longing for a relationship with God or having a desire for a relationship with God if you believe in your own mind that such a relationship is not possible? Oh, yeah. Can you see that it would be very, very hard to maintain a longing <laughs> while, or a desire while you at the same time believe that the fulfilment of that desire is never going to happen? It's a bit like you picking up a guitar for the very first time and believing that you're never going to be able to play it. Yeah, yeah. Like, how are you going to ever play it if you already believe when you begin that you're never going to be able oh, to play yeah. it? So you won't even get past the first initial painful bit, really, would you? No, that's you right. Have that faith. But if you grab your guitar, pick it up the very first time, if you think back to the very oh, first time, right? And, uh, you know, I remember the very first time I picked up a guitar. I was in my 20s, you know, like... And, uh, and I picked up the guitar and I felt the confusion... I suppose you could say the confusion and disappointment that I couldn't even know what a note was let alone put a string of them together let alone play it so that I could enjoy them (laughs) and nothing gelled you know I don't know what it felt like for you but for me it was like nothing gelled at all it's like ding 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 you know like strings buzzed yeah everything (laughs) buzzed and everything everything. oh here we go get another hour of that you know like (laughs) Now, if you didn't have any faith in that place, that you would go beyond that place, then you, you could see that you'd give up pretty rapidly. Yeah. It's exactly the same in our relationship with God. If we don't have any faith that a relationship is possible, and we don't have any faith that at the condition of at which I've described in many presentations, is possible, then of course we're not going to be driven to have a desire for the relationship. And so I believe these qualities in our relationships, all of our relationships actually, are important, including our relationship with God. It's the same with your relationship with your partner, if you think about it. Mm. If you don't have any faith that your relationship with your partner can improve, 
you don't have any faith that your relationship with your par- partner can grow and become more you know, desirous, more sexual, more fun, more enjoyable, and you don't have any uh, concept within you that it's possible that that will occur, then why would you want to develop it further? You will spend your time doing other things instead. Um, and it's the same with every relationship. It's the same with everything that we pick up. It's the same with anything that we can potentially enjoy. If we don't have any faith that it's going to get to from where it is now to a new place, then it's impossible for us to really continue in the process of developing our desire with it. So I feel the quality of faith is very important to the to quality of desire. Faith helps you maintain desire. And faith also helps you eventually see or be able to measure the results of desire. So if you had picked up your guitar right at the beginning and you had no faith at all, then you you would have gone bang, 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 ping, 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 put it down, give up that, I'm not very good at that. I don't know how you could ever expect to be good at it if that's all you're going to do, but, but, you know, I'm not very good at that, so we put that down, forget it, and I'll do something else. Now, that that, uh, is what a lot of people do with with all sorts of things. That's that's why the majority of people on earth listen to music, but very few people play it in comparison. Is because they're afraid of the process of learning. But they don't have any faith that they can do it. They don't have any actual faith that they can achieve it. But once you pick up the guitar and you start playing it away and you've got that faith driving you, you will do it every day. You will do it. You will get over this hump of feeling useless and bad. You'll get over the feeling that it's all pointless. You'll get over the feeling that you're pretty, uh, you know, when is it ever going to be enjoyable? You'll get over the feeling of how hard it is. You'll get over the feeling of not understanding. You'll get over the feeling of confusion. You'll get over, all these are feelings that you need to address in your life at some point anyway, and you'll get over each one of them. And eventually, and I know this happened with you, with playing, eventually you start one day, you start going, it sort of works now. Like, <laughs> it works for about 20 seconds and it just went over. Like, what, what happens and then you try to get that feeling? And 20 seconds of it. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then after a while, you start getting into that more and more and more and then you realise, oh, it's just... Uh, and, then you, and then you can just sit there and go... Uh, 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 yeah. And talk to somebody at the same time, you know, so you're starting to actually... It, it becomes a part of you now. Like, it, this is what happens with desire that's now meeting faith head on and... and it's now now what you had faith about is actually there. Mm. So because it's something that you had faith about that's actually there, it's taught you something too, and it's taught you this underlying principle that faith eventually results in an outcome. Yeah. yeah. And and if if it can result in an outcome this time with this particular thing, then perhaps you can have a desire in a different direction that you have no knowledge about and have some faith that you can achieve it and you'll actually be able to achieve things in that direction as well and in that direction and in that direction and after a while because you have more and more confidence growing within yourself that anything you have faith and desire for can be achieved you end up having a very very rich life in all different aspects of your life if you don't do that and you you give up the very first time you have no faith whatsoever and you have no longing for the outcome then of course you're just going to sit down and go, there's no point in doing this. And you're not going to experience a very rich life yeah. as a result. 
That's why I love this topic so much. It's got such highs about it, yeah. and yet such lows. <laughs> like, like when things don't go the way yeah, you want them yeah, to go. Like all this confusion about design, all this heaviness, but then... And grief. Same, and grief and, and all grief, that kind yeah. of stuff. But at the same time, it's just got the possibility to be infinite. Yeah. yeah. Which is... Um, yeah, why well, it's one of my favourites. So. Yeah, no, it's very important to understand. And I feel that the grief, the depth of the grief, is often the doorway to the greatness of the joy. Do you understand <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So, see, a lot of the times what prevents us from growing into having a more joyous life is the amount of grief we have in us. And when we embrace desire, it challenges our grief. Because when you, like when you, I don't know when you picked up the guitar, but when I did, and because I was in my twenties, well, you know, it wasn't something I did at school, or you know, that mum and dad got me to do, or anything like that. It was something I had a desire for myself, and then go ahead and do. And when I did that, and I started, the very first few weeks, I was in a lot of grief about, you know, frustration probably would have been a better term, you know, like. Oh, I was angry with myself and why did, and a bit angry with my parents why didn't they let me do this when I was a kid type of feeling it wasn't their fault you know yeah. and, and they, we had no money growing up or anything they couldn't have even bought me a guitar you know but but I you know I just I just didn't even conceive that I would have you know done music even myself during that time but I was frustrated and angry at the process and then you get over that and uh, and then you get into the grief associated with that as well like oh, lost opportunity grief you know that's a big grief that many of us have where we've lost opportunities in the past that we could have taken and you feel some of that and you feel some of the emotions about how useless you feel you know how how you know you're trying to do this new thing that you know you could enjoy if, if you were good at it at some point but but you're also feeling quite bad, bad at it and useless at it, and quite often there's a lot of grief associated with that. But then as you let yourself feel it, the clarity comes. And, uh, and the, the joy is, a, the, is, if you think about it in a way, it's directly proportional to the amount of grief you've had to experience to get to that place. Mm. Uh, and I feel this is also why a lot of people don't enjoy their relationships because they're not prepared to feel the grief about their relationships and release that grief and embrace uh, so the joy can be present and that's all about suppression of desire when you suppress your desire you don't experience joy you you experience fear When when you embrace desire you will feel your way through your fear and eventually you will experience true joy yeah I was thinking uh, what we need to do perhaps in our next session together, uh, if we do another session next week with this, is I'll interview you about your experiences with desire. Is that, is that all right? Yeah. yeah. And because I feel, I feel, you know, I know a fair bit about your personal experience of what you've talked to me about. And, um, and I'd love for people to see you know, what you've had to confront through this process of embracing your desires and where you began with it and then as, it, as it's proceeded, what different things came up because there's been quite traumatic experiences, yeah. fear-based uh, experiences, there's been even attack from other people, public attack. There's been all sorts of things that you've personally had to work through to embrace your own desire. And I feel it would be great for people to yeah. 
understand that experience of your own so that they can see in, in practice the things that we've been talking about today in theory. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, that's unreal. That's great. Yeah. Oh, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Do you have any more questions? I have. A, uh, I've, got, I've got... I keep talking about yeah. it for a long time, well, but I'm... And what's the time now? Uh, probably it's time for us to... Quarter to twelve. Quarter to twelve. Yeah, we've got another quarter yeah. now probably. So there's, there's a question that I've got about spirits and how our desire affects spirits around us. Yeah. Um, as you know, many spirits that are around us are only around us because of the what you would call the addictions within us that cause them to be attracted to us. In other words, they're in what you would classify on Earth as a codependent relationship with us. And of course, many people on Earth are in a codependent relationship with us too. They are with us because of what we are giving them and what they are giving us. So many of the spirits that are with us are with us only because of what we are giving them and what we want from them. We want some feelings from them. The beauty of passion is that we're willing to feel or desire, is that we're willing to feel our own feelings of what we want and satisfy them ourselves through our actions. Now, in that place, we are far less addictive in our nature. Since we are less addictive, we have less desire for these spirits to be with us while we're in our true passions and desires. As a result of that, the spirits have less influence in our lives than they would have had if we weren't in our true passion and desire. So I feel uh, it's a way of actually encouraging these spirits to work through their own issues. Once we embrace our own passion and desires and we, we engage this law in an active process, we are actually now taking more personal responsibility for every emotion within us, including the fulfilment of every joy that we, we have, rather than expecting people in our environment to fulfill our desires or, or make us feel happy. Now, that automatically disconnects us from codependency. Yeah. And as a result, many of the spirits who would normally influence us can leave us as a result of that disconnection. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's... So um, I feel as if we are finding ourselves heavily influenced by spirits, it is because we are unwilling to discover our own passions and desires and unwilling to act upon them without expecting someone else to help us. Yeah. Yeah. And in saying that, there are times when you start in your desire journey that you have those spirits with you because the desire is a probably pure, purified to a place, like with me and the guitar. I started well, well, let's sort of look at some of those desires. So let's say with you and the guitar, let's say one of the original desires might have been a desire for glory. Yeah, it was, for me it was more like a desire to be seen and heard. And, okay, and desire to be seen and heard. So, so you could say that is an addiction, right? Yeah. It's an addiction to be seen and heard. A person who's in their passion with regard to music doesn't need to be seen and heard yeah. they can play music for themselves and get as much joy from it as playing it from, for anybody else yeah. so they, um, they they're not addictively needing themselves to be, a, be in public in order to feel some joy from their desire now if that desire if that underlying addiction is present this addiction to being seen and heard then obviously you will have spirits with you who also have a similar addiction of wanting to be seen and be heard and express themselves through you. 
So this is where a lot of musicians get themselves into trouble because they start taking a bit of drugs and a bit of drink and, and you know, these spirits... And they get all this creative inspiration. They get all this creative inspiration through this spirit connection now because mm-hmm. they're drugged out and they've got had a bit of drink. They can now have a stronger connection with those particular spirits and those particular spirits provide them with the material and in the provision of the material, those spirits now are becoming involved in feeding the addiction of the individual yeah. for a desire to be seen and heard. So the spirits go, I know what everybody's going to want, you know, in terms of what music to write. So instead of the person on earth writing their own music, you know, based on their own passions and desires, they're now really writing the music that the spirits want them to write. And the spirits want them to write that music because the spirits believe that's the kind of music that the people on earth are going to want to listen to. And the spirits also want the drink and the drugs, that the feeling that they yeah. get from the person yeah. when they're drink, uh, drinking and drugged out a bit. And so the spirits get to share that feeling. And now we have a codependency. Codependency where the spirits get to feel the drugs and the alcohol and the person on earth gets to be inspired. Yeah. and therefore be able to deliver songs that he might not normally have been able to deliver to the public. And then because he gets a bit of uh, popularity with the public, yeah. um, you know, he drinks a bit more, more yeah. and, and he gets a bit more, drugs out, and the spirits give yeah. him more inspiration, and unfortunately it becomes a downward spiral. Still snowballs, but that way. So in saying that, the, the, if you purify that desire, like, then you're loving those spirits at the same time because you're giving them an opportunity to obviously see what like what's, driving them, what's driving them to yeah. do things. So yeah. the most loving thing for all at the moment is to just Purify be your purifying desire. your desire. Yes, yes. So rather than me have a codependency with them or a codependency with anybody on earth, it's best that I embrace my desire with passion independent of anybody on earth then we can have a real relationship. So you and I can have a real relationship only if I embrace my passion and desire purely, Mm. you embrace your passion and desire purely, and we enjoy each other's company, Mm. not because we're feeding each other some kind of addiction, but because you're being yourself and I'm being myself in the interaction. And in saying that too, like I found that my desire might be very different to yours in a sense, Mm But if I'm around you and you've got this desire about some so like with Pete for example when he's gardening, yeah, you know, and yeah. like I go around him and him and his desire, I just want to hang out. Yeah, that's you right. Know, and yeah. Just ask questions yeah, you know, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Like I still want to get to know him, and that, but our desires aren't the same. But, but, but it's infectious, isn't it? Yeah. And it also is, you start seeing it as an expression of the individual's personality. And mm. you, it's almost like when you see them in their desire, that's when you really know them. Mm. So when I see Fab in his desire, that's when I start to really know Fab mm. and uh, uh, the character, the man. You know, yeah. If I see him just you know, watching other people or not doing anything, now I don't really know Fab without having to ask a lot of questions. But when I see him in his desire, now I can feel the you man. Have to ask questions you don't even you have to ask questions hardly, but but you feel drawn to ask him because it's so fun to see the person <laughs> in their desire, right? And uh, and also you get to know the person so well, you you start to feel like you know them and know what drives them because you can feel their underlying desires. Your desires are a large part of your personality. And in addition, when you're with a person who expresses a desire in a certain direction, your uh, soul starts to expand 
with the possibility of you having that desire at some point in the future. Yeah, that's what I've started finding. Like, mm. it's starting to get more things. Like, a wider desire like, base. Yeah, like, yeah. places I don't even think I'd have any desire. I'm just curious to want to learn about. You know, yeah. yeah. You know, but it's even like the desire for me to get this interview. Mm-hmm. Like, I was told that, you know, because desire, you need act. You yes. must act. You, like must you act. can't. You can't sit down and have desire. No. Like I've tried it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've experimented. Yeah. experimented. I'm gonna have any right. desire. I'm gonna activate this desire. I'm gonna sit down. <laughs> I ended up moving after five minutes. <laughs> you were very patient. But um, it's just like this. Like I thought, you know, I had this longing feeling in me to have an interview with you about desire. But I had to act. Like. So I wouldn't know if my act was addiction-based or not unless I tried it. Exactly. So I wrote an email. Yeah. You know, you know, I didn't hear back for about a month and a half, two months. Yeah. Because I've actually got 500 yeah. unread emails. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes a while. Irrelevant to what you have, right? I've got this, all this stuff in me come up, right? Yeah. Which is perfect. Yeah. I feel them, and then the day after I feel it, there's an email. From <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. You know, but I had to act activate. My, I had to act in my desire to do it, yeah. to, to actually you know, be doing this. So yeah, yeah. it sort of confirms it each time that you cannot just sit still and yes. just have desire. Yes, and if you had in that month judged it and said, oh, yeah, see, AJ's not really interested in desire and, you know, he's not really interested in doing an interview with me yeah. and you started taking it all personally, as many people do, and then you started going down the track of you know getting quite negative about it, and and yeah, you might have found it was mere very many more months before you. you got it. <laughs> but I did feel some of those things, yeah, and I felt them with my heart. So exactly. and like I didn't let that stop my longing for it. For, yeah, for but if you've got caught up in the negativity of all of that, yeah, yeah, then um, you know it would demonstrate that you're not even ready to do an interview on the subject that you feel that you're passionate about. (laughs) But the other thing is that um, I feel that when a person acts, they're already expressing their desire in a positive direction generally. So, So this is a great indication that the desire is real. You know, I see a lot of people waiting. So what they do is they sort of make a suggestion to me, oh, you know, I'd like to do this or that. And I go, fair enough. Yeah, that's yeah, that sounds great. Questions. That sounds great, you know. And, uh, and yeah, maybe we, we need to answer a lot I've of got, those I've got a lot questions. Based on arts. Yeah, and the next time we get Waiting together. and so on. Yeah. yeah. And, and they'll sit there and they go, oh, so this is my suggestion. They'll make a suggestion to you and you go, okay, that's a good suggestion. <laughs> and you just leave it like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because... Because in the end, that's all they're making, yeah. is a suggestion. They haven't yet activated enough of their soul to actually take an yeah. action. And it's not like you can't see the big picture, what they've expressed, like I can see it all. But of course. I'm not gonna, it's not what I want to do straight away. And not only that, even if it was, your acting for them would actually damage their yeah. development of their own desire. They need to learn at some point that they can create this particular thing they desire. And the only way they can learn that is by actually taking an action in harmony with their desire rather than waiting for you to make it all easy for them to do so. So I see that happening many times where people want me to help them create their desire 
when the reality is they need to learn that they have the power within themselves to create their own desire. They do not need another person to assist them to do it. And if they chose to do it like that, other people would come along and assist them only because they could feel the desire is pure and they would enjoy the process with them. When a person just makes suggestions without any intention to act unless something's made easy for them, then they have a whole heap of addictions regarding their own desires. They expect other people to take responsibility for their, for their personal desires. Mm. And that is not harmonious with love at all. It's not, it's not harmonious with the love for me to expect you to do what I want you to do yeah. and to make it easy for me to do, do it. You know? um, that, that is uh, disclaiming all sense of responsibility for my personal life and my desires. A person who's truly in their passion never does that. They never wait for another person to tell them that they're allowed to follow a particular desire in a certain direction. if it's pure, you couldn't wait, really. Exactly. Yeah. If it's pure, you can't wait. There's such a strong force in yeah. you yeah. that's driving you in a pure manner. And this is part of this connection with God that we establish through desire, that, that this force just drives you and you feel like, you feel like you can't wait. Right. Okay. You know, you're not, can't wait. And the only time that you feel that you can wait is if another person is involved uh, and you don't demand it from them, but you, you, you will you know, attract them through, yeah. through desire, but you won't stop doing it yourself no. if they're not available. Mm. You, know, you, will, you, you will always go ahead and do as much as you possibly can. Uh, to to experience your own desires and passion, and because learning is infinite too, so you can't really stop that. Yes, if I if I stop my desire waiting for you to express a desire in that's a similar one, I could be waiting for another thousand years <laughs> before you do that. You know, and that means that for a thousand years I've been stagnant, waiting for somebody else to do, and they and in the end they might not even want to do it as they recognise you know, their own desires. This is, uh, if we take personal responsibility for our desires, we don't wait for other people to embrace them. We don't wait for other people's agreement either. We don't wait for other people's acceptance. We don't wait for other people to like us doing it. And we don't wait for other people to praise us uh, because we just go ahead and do it anyway. And all of those other things might come along at some point, but we're not even invested in them coming along. So we we don't wait for anything. We just go ahead and do what we enjoy doing. We don't try to smooge ourselves into something. Yeah. We don't try to manipulate somebody else or control them into doing something. We embrace our desire and passion directly. And if the other person wants to, they will definitely at some point become involved because they'll be encouraged by our desire. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I'll say we'll leave it at yeah. that for now because there's another two-hour talk. No worries. <laughs> so, so perhaps our next chat that we have together then, we, we answer the questions regarding the... The team that you're involved with. Yeah, just in. some of the things that I've noticed in the team. That you've noticed in the team. Yeah. And then perhaps I could interview you a bit about your personal life with desire yeah. and, and just how you know, the process has sort of unfolded for you yeah. in terms of what you've discovered about desire. Yeah, no problem. That'd be excellent. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks guys. <laughs>
In fact, I sort of feel like Fab in a way that, you know, there's only like probably a couple of qualities that you need, <laughs> like desire, faith. After that, the other things are not that important. Humility to desire. Yeah, that's the one of the biggest I've found is the humility to feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, yeah. Especially when I play gigs. Like, yeah. Someone's not listening, or someone's demanding I do a certain thing on stage, and I just feel really uncomfortable while I do it. And you know, a couple songs later, it's all changed. So I've just honoured that kind of feeling for everyone. It's changing things. So yeah, yeah. There's only a few personal qualities that you need to develop to really continue progressing the rest of your life. Yeah. Humility is the primary one, but like I feel faith and desire. Faith, desire, and a willingness to feel pain. Yeah. Those four things. Yeah. Humility, faith, desire, willingness to feel pain. Yeah. And I, I sort of got that straight after one of you. Pretty much when I first heard you speaking. Like, I, yeah. Yeah. I feel that when we're humble, desire comes upon us because God's just created us to be so desirous. Mm -hmm. It's so inherent in us, but it's a lack of humility in myself that shuts down desire. Yeah, and a lack of humility. I'm overwhelmed by all things I want to do, and I don't want to shut down again. This is scaring me. There's a lack of humility to the feeling of fear, isn't it? Yeah, really. Yeah, because fear is the 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 feeling of fear is what suppresses desire. So the lack of humility to the feeling of fear is the underlying thing that shuts down desire. That was fun. It's going to be interesting, I feel, for people to hear your personal experience because it's, it's a really good personal experience, I feel. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah.